favorite costume. I've done this costume three times. The first time was when I was five years old and my mother made a costume for me. Then when I was in university and then uh, a few years ago, I did it again. And that is. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to be read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello everyone, welcome back to our Keep It Fictional book chat at the Port Moody Public Library. I'm Virginia and I'm here with Corrine, Liz, Sadie and Fiona. Well, hello everyone. And so this week, of course, is Halloween week. And so we have done a horror episode before. And despite how much I love horror, I can't just keep doing that to my friends every single year. So I have to find a different way to have a different topic that I can still talk about horror. So what we have come up with today is we are going to talk about books that has Halloween-y words in it. So it could be the title that has like the word, I don't know, candies in it, maybe, or ghosts, or it might be a book that has those elements in it. And of course, you know who's going to still talk about horror anyway. But that is our theme for today. Day. And so before we start, I just want to find out from everybody, are you a Halloween person? Like, do you like go all out on Halloween? How, like, how much do you invest in this holiday? And I would love to know what are some of the costumes? What have you dressed up as before? As I pointed out earlier, the ones that you care to share on air. So this... Um. I really enjoy Halloween if everybody around me gets in the spirit. So I don't like being the only one dressing up or the only one really enthusiastic about it or the only one on the block with decorations up. So for me, it's like a group effort. And for costumes, for recent memory, um, I was a salmon nigiri one year. And then, but my fallback costume, like if I'm coming to work, on Halloween and I want something comfortable is my cow person, cowgirl outfit. Cause you know, jeans, blouse, hat, scarf, boots, stick horse. And we're good. Nice. Nice. I, I don't think I have seen that yet. Maybe the next time Halloween falls on a working day for me, then you shall see. Or you can just come in and walk around in that anyway on any day. I'm okay with that. Group effort. <laughs> Needs to be group effort. Remember that. <laughs> How about you, Sadie? Because I love fall, I feel like I should absolutely love Halloween as well. And I, I enjoy it. I enjoy Halloween. But I am not the kind of person who likes to put a lot of effort into costumes. And so I find that I always want to have a costume. And then I just never really get anything together. So I like the spirit of Halloween. I like the season of Halloween, but I don't usually, I, I would fail Liz miserably in the team effort not department because I don't often put a lot of effort into getting a costume together. But that being said, my favorite costume, I've done this costume three times. The first time was when I was five years old 
and my mother made a costume for me. Then when I was in university and then uh, a few years ago, I did it again. And that is Rainbow Bright. Now, I don't know how many people actually know who Rainbow Bright is, um, but uh, she was one of my childhood heroes when I was a kid. I absolutely adored Rainbow Bright. Um, grew up with Rainbow Bright and wanted to be Rainbow Bright. And so I have been Rainbow Bright for Halloween. I still have my costume. That is one that I can pretty much pull out anytime if I need a last minute costume. I do still have it. But I will, I do want to say that I am very excited for my costume for this year. Now, this might be a bit of a big reveal, but I am going as an avocado cut in half with my pregnant belly sticking out as the pit. <laughs> and my husband is going as toast. So we will be avocado toast. <laughs> so I am pretty psyched about this year's costume. That's so good. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, just make sure you send us uh, some pictures. Yeah. And and the rainbow bright. I love to see the rainbow brights. Oh. Yes, Miss Corrine, who is dancing. Rainbow bright, rainbow bright, rainbow bright. Yeah, um, I love Halloween. And the only kind of thing that tempers my expectations around it is the fact that I've always lived in areas that get absolutely no trick-or-treaters. And it's devastating. Devastating because when I was growing up, we lived out in the country. And then when I've kind of been in places in Vancouver, we've been on I'm going to use the word inhospitable streets. Um, so that that has been like a lifelong disappointment of mine that I've never been able to like truly embrace Halloween in a big way. Um, yeah. And I think my mom always like so does costumes and I don't think I appreciated it as a kid. So now like shout out to mom for making us great, great costumes every year. Um, but I think my favorite costume that I have ever had was one that I did here at the library is that I was the reading rainbow because <laughs> it was a pun. <laughs> so I was dressed up as a rainbow and then I had a book and then I was the reading rainbow. <laughs> It's all about that 80s show representation. <laughs> it's the way to do it. It's the way to do <laughs> really it. Really is. Really, really is. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm going to Fiona, who was also a very DIY person. I wonder what kind of amazing costume she has dressed up as before. <sighs> yeah. I love Halloween, but I'm lazy. I always have really great ideas that I plan several months in advance, uh, and then I don't don't come to fruition. I was just lamenting to a friend last night that it, one of the really frustrating things about being an adult is not being able to prioritize holidays because there's just other more important things like groceries. <laughs> like, oh, Halloween will come again next year, I guess. <laughs> um, but um, my parents were always very helpful with my costumes growing up and one year I was the Fiona Lisa or the Mona Fiona um and my dad made me this like um uh what do you call it frame, frame. thank you this frame that like from both sides and then it sat on my shoulders and then I just got like really dressed up um <laughs> so that was a really good one thank you dad um 
And one year I was a vampire and I went like quite into it, uh, like recently when I first moved to the city um, and I worked to where I was working. And then on the same day we had a house viewing. Uh, so I went as a vampire to my house viewing and we did get the house. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing everyone. Um, I, oh yeah, I guess I should share. I I, I think I, I don't, I mean, I didn't grow up with Halloween, so it is fairly new to me, this whole Halloween thing. Kind of like this, like I, I think if people are into it, then it's like, it's fun because if you're the only one dressing up, then it's like, like what's going on? And in my previous job, I was known to be the person who do not care about what I eat every day. And usually it's a cup noodle that I eat every single day. Day. So that was my costume because everybody started calling me noodles. I'm like, you know what? I need to make a cup noodle costume. So that was the costume. And because I forgot to make like holes for my arms, so I can't really work that day. <laughs> so I just sort of sat at the desk and I'm like, yep, can't do anything. <laughs> but I'm in the Halloween spirit. Let me grab my hands underneath the Yeah, so it was, but it was fun. So um, yeah, I, I I get it. Fiona likes just making costumes. Like I, I'm like, I, I don't like to buy things because I just feel like, but I can make that. I don't want to buy it. But it does takes a lot of coordination and pre, like you have to plan it ahead of time. So that could be, yeah. And then do you like store it? You know, you have these great costumes, but you can't be the same thing every year. I don't know. I guess Sadie kept her rainbow bright. I kept most of mine just because you never know. You never know when you need those. You need a tickle trunk. All right. Well, thank you everyone for sharing the costumes. And I hope all of you have an amazing costumes. If you do have amazing costumes ideas, please do put it in the comments and share with us. And maybe one day we'll come up with a group costume. Anyway, but back to books, back to books, because that is what we're here for. Um, so we are going to find out from Corinne, what is a Halloween-y word book that she has come up with today. Yes. Halloweeny, my favorite adjective. It was great. It was great, Virginia. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I moderately understood the brief um, and I went with, I think, you know, a Halloweeny word, I guess, which is twisted. I feel like you could, you could use that in Halloween, like twisted. Things are twisted. Things are like night is the time that we go out instead of day. So it's twisted around, right? Twisted around. And instead of, you know, the metaphorical masks that we wear on our face to engage with society because of the world, we wear real masks out in society and we see everyone's masks because it's a metaphor for ourselves and our inner monsters. We release the monster. We release the monsters on Halloween, whereas the rest of the 364 days, we keep the monster inside. Yes, exactly, Sadie. The monster is within us. Yes, man, I should have been a university professor. What am I doing here? Anyways, so yes, the book, the word that I chose is twisted. And the book that I chose is by uh, T. Kingfisher, who is what is also the name of Ursula Vernon, who primarily, I mean, writes everything. They are a Hugo and Nebula award-winning author. They write the Hamster Princess series, which is no word of a lie, one of my favorite series of all time. <laughs> writes amazing eBooks and has kind of recently gone into the horror genre. And this is the 2019 book, The Twisted Ones. Ooh, 
if I keep my head right here, it should be fine. See? Ah, that's a special effect for all you people out there. Um, and this is, I, of course, love this book, so Virginia hates it. Um, so it is a horror book for all of those people who <sighs> really love a good illusion. Not I illusion, but an uh, illusion, like a, a callback to something else, because this book is actually based on and takes its inspiration from the 1904 Arthur Mackin story called The White People. And what he is referring to is kind of what we would call the kindly ones, the the fae folk, the fairies who, you know, in, in Disney fairy tales are these kind of nice, kind, impish, mischievous, friendly creatures. But if we kind of take it back to the roots of the story in Ireland, they are terrifying, horrible, cruel alien creatures that uh, live among us, live hidden among us, and often only come up to drag human beings down to their underground lairs and to steal children for their amusement. So this is taken off of that particular book, and it is a story about Mouse, and Mouse is a little bit down on her luck. Things have been tough. Money is not coming in. She kind of feels alone and adrift, and without purpose until she gets a phone call from her dad saying that her grandmother has passed away. And for most people, this would be horrible news. This would be awful. This would be heartbreaking. For Mouse, it's more of a, hmm, okay. Her grandmother was unlikable, cruel, sadistic, mean-spirited. In short, her grandmother was not a good person. And Mouse has not really gone back to her place in North Carolina since she was old enough to move away. But her father is busy and someone needs to go to their family home and clean things up and get the house ready for sale. And because Mouse really doesn't have a lot going on at the moment, she agrees to take on this particular burden. Unfortunately, she only realizes when she gets there how much her dad has really screwed her over because her grandmother was she remember was a bit of a pack rat, you know, like to hold on to things. But when she gets there, she realizes that her grandmother has turned into a full on hoarder. The house is dilapidated. The house is falling apart. It is actually impossible to go into some of the rooms because there is so much debris and mess and mouse and her dog Bongo I mean, maybe Bongo doesn't realize what a big job it is, but Mouse definitely realizes what a big job it is and is a bit upset and resigned. However, there is exactly one room in the house that is livable, a house that has remained untouched ever since the death of its occupant. Her step-grandfather, Frederick, who Mouse has very fond memories of, lived separately from her grandmother in his own room. And Mouse decides to kind of make this her base. This is going to be her home while she is taking care of this family business. When she goes down to sleep at night, she feels something kind of weird and lumpy underneath the mattress. And so she decides to investigate, which is, I think, the bravest thing she does in this book. Because if there's a lump in the mattress, I am just running out of the house and burning it to the ground. Um, she reaches under and she brings out a notebook. It is her step-grandfather's diary. And at first she thinks, oh, well, this might be nice, you know, the reminiscence of a kindly old man and maybe talking about the fun times we had together and maybe some of his troubles and maybe a little bit about nature because he really enjoyed taking walks. 
And it is not anything like that. The book details a terrifying ordeal, a frightening existence of her step-grandfather as something in the woods was stalking him. Something in the woods was waiting and watching the house and just biding its time until he dropped his guard and it could take him. And he calls him the Twisted Ones. And his diary goes through his horrifying ordeals of every day and interspersed between them there is the common recitation. I made faces like the faces on the rock and I twisted myself like the twisted ones and I lay down flat on the ground like the dead ones. And this recitation gets stuck in Mouse's head. She reads it over and over and over again. And the more she reads it, the more she finds herself mouthing it to herself as she cleans the more she finds herself rocking back and forth and thinking about this, the more she finds her body unable to stop itself from twisting itself into shapes like the twisted ones and making faces like the faces on the rocks. And it's a compulsion and she cannot stop. And then Mouse starts to feel the eyes of something in the forest upon her something watching, something waiting. And the twisted ones are coming for her. And that is the beginning of The Twisted Ones by T. Kingfisher. It is a horror. I loved it. It's very, very spooky. And I can't wait to read their newest, The Hollow Ones. So I'm a big fan, big fan. If you're looking for a very spooky read, this is a good one. Unless you're Virginia. I was just going to say, only you can manage to find the one horror that I do not care for. <laughs> like, I can't always count on you to do that. Yeah, again, that's why there are so many books in the world. This is a horror for everybody, even Corinne. Um, so thank you for that. We are going to go to Fiona. What? kind of hollow i'm just gonna say that word halloweeny a bunch of times now so what kind of halloweeny books do you have for us so i also screwed up the prompt a little bit i guess my halloween word is lovecraft i chose a horror to read today uh, which i enjoyed very much i read uh, lovecraft country by matt ruff so I listened to this as an audiobook, and it was really good as an audiobook. It just had a lot of ambiance, a great October read. But I don't usually zone out in audiobooks, and I did find that a little bit in this one. Not because it wasn't great, but because I could enjoy it without knowing kind of like every little detail. So I might be like a little bit like... You know, I struggle with my words anyway, but, um, you know, I, I might miss some parts. This book is a cultural critique. So funny isn't maybe the right or like humorous isn't maybe the right word to use for it, but it was definitely very clever. The horror is often drawn from racism, which is, of course, one of the true real horrors and sometimes it's hard to see the characters go through that but 
they were also very heroic, uh, great characters who often triumphed. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect about the book. Let's see. For those of you who aren't aware, Lovecraft is the man who created Cthulhu and uh, is kind of the the father of the greater Halloweeny beasts. So, you know, not so much your Frankensteins as your, oh, I can't remember what they call them, but like basically your, your monsters who you are going to rip uh, a, you're going to tear a hole in the universe and uh, let another universe in uh, and they are going to conquer people. And it's like truly, truly horrifying. Yes, he created Cthulhu and many other terrifying monsters, but he was also extremely racist and anti-Black. So this is a drawing from that legacy, but also critiquing it, which um, was really interesting and great because I love, I do love that legacy, but there's always that knowledge that the person who who created this was awful. Okay, let's get to the story. Atticus Uncle owns a travel agency. Uh, It's set in the 40s, and this travel agency is meant for giving Black people advice about safe places to travel. What are the restaurants you can go to? What are the places you can stay that are going to be safe for you? Okay, how does it all start? Atticus's father calls him and says, "Oh, you have to you have to come with me. We're going to travel to this this place." Oh my gosh, I can't I can't remember how it all starts out. <laughs> But basically, his dad goes missing. He's left without him when Atticus was getting ready to go on this big car trip with him. uh, He goes back to find him and his dad has already left. The story is a series of vignettes, like basically little horror stories that all link together into this grander story, which I really enjoyed once I figured out that was happening. So if you're going into the book, it's nice to know that the first story is kind of going to conclude and then we're going to have related characters. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the other characters who I remember more about and whose stories I really enjoy. There is Ruby who meets a suave white man at a bar and decides that she'll go home with him. He tells her, listen, the meeting wasn't actually actually accidental. I need some information from you, but I am willing to give you so much in return, not just money, but something you really, really want. So Ruby has been desperately looking for work. She agrees that she will take on this strange job, providing him information, doing small tasks for him in exchange for a lot of money and a special elixir, which will crack open her skin and allow her to be a white woman for a period of time. Ruby dons the personality of Hillary, the beautiful bear heiress who turns heads as she walks around. Uh, and Ruby slash Hillary suddenly finds that things are so much easier for her. She can tell the police that the woman who was rude to her in the department store actually stole something. They'll believe her and they'll arrest that woman. Suddenly she has all of this power, and she is going to use it. 
That was a really interesting one, which I enjoyed a lot. Ruby was one of my favorite characters, along with her sister, who suddenly inherits a whole bunch of money and decides she wants to buy a house. However, the house is haunted. (laughs) Ruby is totally unflinching. She's such an awesome character. I'm really excited to see what they do with her in the the, uh, TV series. Instead of a running away like her sister Ruby does, she decides that she's getting to the bottom of this. Not only is she not afraid of the ghost, she's not afraid of her racist neighbors who are trying to chase her out of the neighborhood. And she is going to get to the bottom of this, make friends with the ghost, and make this a livable place where she can have borders and improve her life. She is a very dedicated and awesome character. There's also Hippolyta, another great female character who is Atticus's aunt and mother to another character. And she has kind of lived out her role as a mother and a wife. But when she was younger, she actually had dreams of becoming an astronomer. She studied hard and thought she would go to university. However, uh, she soon realized all of the barriers for Black women and science, and that never really came to fruition. One day when she is driving down the highway, she comes across a can't think of what it's called when it's like a place that you can see the stars from like a, a big dome observatory thank you and she makes her way into the observatory even though it is closed uh, and there are no staff there in the observatory she finds a gate which opens and transports you to anywhere into the universe. Hippolyta is so excited because not only can she find new planets that no one has discovered yet, she can actually visit them. So all of these strange, weird stories connect into this bigger plot that I have a really hard time describing. There is basically a secret society. And it turns out that Atticus, through his great-grandmother who escaped enslavement, is actually related and a key component through because he is the highest percentage of blood related to the original establisher of this secret society. And so all of these people want him basically to use him as a sacrifice to open up a portal to bring in uh, these monsters. So all of these things link, but nobody seems to be sharing their stories. And it's not until the end that they all realize that these weird occurrences in their life are linked. Oh, I feel like I didn't do this book justice in my description, um, but it's very fun, very fun vignettes. So you can get into one, take a break, and then go into another. Such a good Halloween spooky ambiance read. That is Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Thank you, Fiona. Well, that's good. You give them a give everybody a teaser of all the different stories. That means they have to go read it and find out for themselves. Has anybody watched the show? Because I haven't. Nobody. No. No, I'm really excited about it now. I feel like it's going to adapt super well to television. Yeah, like the episodic kind of thing probably works really well. All right, ah, uh, we are going to go to Sadie next. I, you know, I guess maybe I should have like probably also said like when I say Halloweeny words in the title, but it's also like Halloweeny like 
elements. So I think all of those ones that you both talk about fit. So, all right, Sadie, what have you got? So mine does have a Halloween-y word in it. Um, mine is Ophie's Ghosts by Justina Ireland. And this is a middle grade story. And it follows Ophelia Harrison or Ophie. And it starts one night in November in 1922. And Ophie and her parents live in Georgia. And Ophie is woken middle of the night by her father. And her father seems a little bit upset. He says, get the money that is hidden in the floorboards, get your mother and go to your hiding place in the woods. Now, Ophie has no idea what's what's going on. She She's exhausted. She's just been woken up in the middle of the night. She's not sure why her father is pulling her out of her bed, but he says it again, get the money that's under the floorboards, get your mother and go to your hiding place in the woods. So she does this. She runs to her mother's room. She says, dad says, we have to go. We have to go to, uh, to get out of the house, go to the woods. She grabs the money in the floorboards. And she starts to run, um, looking behind her, making sure that her mother is there. She doesn't see her father right away, but he appears and says, go on ahead. I will, I will come find you. Go on ahead. Get into your hiding place. So she does this. Her and her mother run through the woods. They get to her hiding place, this fort that her and her father have created. They go inside and they wait. And they wait and they wait. And finally, just before morning, her father comes again and says, good job, Ophie. You did it. You protected your mother. Well done. Good job. And then he disappears. And then Ophie and her mother start to smell smoke. And they realize that their house is burning down. So the next morning, they go back to their burnt out house and realize that they have nothing left. They learn one other thing when they go back to their house. They learn that on his way home from work the day before, Ophie's father was murdered. He had been speaking up against some laws. He had been fighting for voting for Black people, and he had got the attention of a group of white men who did not agree with this. And he said something that upset them, and they took their revenge on that by killing him. All of this happened before Ophi saw her father in the middle of the night. This is the moment that Ophi realizes that she can see ghosts. So Ophi and her mother, their house is now destroyed. Her father is now dead. They need to leave Georgia because it is no longer safe and go and find somewhere else where they can live. Now, um, Ophie's mother has family in Pittsburgh. So that is where they are headed. Um, as they drive away from their house, going to the train, Ophie sees her father one more time as he disappears into a bunch of, of lights. He kind of gives her a wave, smiles and disappears. So now our story continues with Ophie and her mother, and they're living in Pittsburgh with a relative. Um, they're living, I think it's a great aunt that they're living with, and a cousin, and the great aunt is wonderful, but the cousin is, is mean, is rude to Ophie. Her children are very entitled. They're always kind of trying to cause trouble for Ophie, 
And it doesn't get any better when Ophi's mother has decided to pull her out of school so that they can make more money and she has to get a job. So Ophi's mother has been lucky enough to get work at a big manor house for a white family, a wealthy white family. And she's managed to get Ophi's job as a maid in this house as well. Soon after Ophi starts on her first day, she is introduced to the woman that she is going to be taking care of. This woman, uh, Mrs. Carruthers, is rude, is racist, is cantankerous, is very specific about how she likes things done. So in the moment when Ophi is trying to perfectly make this cup of tea for this woman, she hears a voice and this voice starts telling her how to do it the exact correct way that Mrs. Carruthers likes her teammate. Thinking that this is just somebody who is there to help her, Ophi starts to follow the instructions and it goes well. She makes the tea correctly, but she doesn't see anyone. A couple of days later, she hears a voice again. And this, this voice uh, tells her something else that helps her with her work. So she goes searching for who this voice belongs to. And she finds this beautiful woman. And this woman says that her name is Clara. And Ophi decides that she would love to be friends with Clara because Clara is kind. Clara is beautiful. Clara helped her out when nobody else was going to help her out. So as the story kind of goes on, Ophi starts to get closer to Clara until Ophi realizes that Clara is not alive. Clara is a ghost that lives in this house. And when Ophi is taking care of Mrs. Carruthers one day um, and she needs to get new sheets and she goes to the closet to get new sheets, Mrs. Carruthers starts yelling at her. She starts telling her, you're never allowed to go into that closet. Do not go anywhere near that closet. Just stay away from it. Never go near it. Ophi's a little bit confused, but she mentions the name Clara at that point. And this causes Mrs. Carruthers to have a bit of a breakdown. She starts screaming and yelling at Ophi. She starts having this kind of panic attack, um, making her very, very ill. So this is when Ophi decides that she's going to figure out a little bit more about what the connection between Clara and Mrs. Carruthers is. So she tries to find Clara again, and she's decided that she's going to help Clara because Clara knows that she was murdered, but she doesn't remember anything else. So Ophi decides that she's going to help Clara figure out who killed her and what exactly the details were surrounding Clara's death. That's all I'm going to say. It is a very engaging book that uh, tackles topics that are very, very important. Um, throughout the whole book, Ophi is battling against racism from these people that she works with, trying to figure out exactly who she is in Pittsburgh, who she is in this new house that she's in, who she is in her family. And it uh, it kind of looks at those, those themes um, and that topic as well, and uh, mixed in with ghosts and murder and all of that uh, spooky Halloween-based um, based stuff. So again, that was Ophie's Ghosts, a middle grade novel by Justina 
Ireland. That sounds great, Sadie. I always meant to pick that up because I love her teen series. I haven't, I haven't read it. It's been on my to read list for a while. Oh, oh, so good. So Dread Nations zombies have like attacked. So now American Civil War is like kind of on hold for a bit. But yeah, that doesn't mean people are not horrible. Yeah, no, that one was really good. Really like it. So yeah, can't wait to read that one. Great. All right. Um, so on the similar theme as both Fiona and Sadie book, I'm going to go next and talk about mine because as Fiona pointed out, racism is probably the scariest thing in the world. So my book came out in August and uh, I felt like it hasn't really got a lot of attention, you know, so I wanted to give it some love here. And it's the kind of horror stories that that are coming out these days that makes me really excited about the whole genre. So this is When the Reckoning Comes and it is by Latanya McQueen. And this is the story of Mira and she has left her segregated town in North Carolina well, more than 10 years ago. And she hasn't gone back. She didn't really want to go back there either. Growing up as a Black girl in her town, it's a not fun. It is difficult, but she got through it because she has got two best friends, Jesse, who's also Black, and Celine, who is white. But Mira hasn't talked to Jesse and Celine since she left. An incident has driven them apart and broken up their friendship more than 10 years ago. There was an old tobacco plantation in her town and her mother, every time she drove by, would tell her a little bit about possible family history that she has with that plantation. And the plantation is rumored to be haunted. So kids, of course, in this town are always daring each other to go check it out. And so the three friends one day decided to go see for themselves. On the night they were supposed to visit, Celine back out in the last minute. So it was just Jesse and Mira. But something happened there that night. Jesse ended up getting arrested and Mira not being able to face what she saw there and not being able to save Jesse from his arrest, even though she knows Jesse didn't do what they said he did. She decided to run away from it all and she left town and she hasn't gone back since then. But one day out of the blues, she got a phone call from Celine. Celine is getting married and Celine told her that I really, really would love to have you come to my wedding. Please come, Mira. Please come back. Mira is not really sure. And she's definitely not quite ready to go back yet. But Celine was like, you know, Jesse's going to be there too. Please come. And so she reluctantly agreed to go back to her hometown. Now, the wedding is going to take place in this newly built resort in her town. And this resort is built on the site of the plantation. The resort is modeled after all the buildings in the antebellum era. And oh, yes, it gets more awful than that. They have hired an all-Black staff. They have restored the living quarters of the slaves. And they had reenactments hourly reenactments so that the guests can experience plantation life. Mira can't believe it that Celine would actually hold her wedding there. Like not just what kind of place is this, but also like she knows, Celine knows her history, her family. Why would she 
do that to her? And of course, as the title of the book pointed out, the reckoning is coming and it is coming for everyone there that is going to be at the wedding. What I love the most about this horror is the way the author did the transition between the past and the present, between the real and the I don't know, is it unreal or is it like real and more real? I don't know. But just the way she blends those things together, it makes such a terrifying horror story. You know, this books when you read like certain scenes that you just like need to sit up straight and you're like rubbing your hands together. I'm like, oh, this is going to get really good. That's how I felt when I was reading this book. There's so many scenes in there. I'm just like, oh, this is like amazing and terrifying. And what I love a lot of these um, newer horrors that are coming out is they're taking familiar kind of like stories, like familiar, like in this case, a, a revenge kind of horror story and, and makes it all the more terrifying. By, by exploring the horrors of the real world, of our world, of living in America and explores like race and privilege. And, and in this case, had a complexity of it is that it's not just reckoning for the people that are there, but it also is reckoning for Mira herself, who has come to realize her own privilege as a Black person. Like she is the only Black guest other than Jesse, the only Black guest that is there and everybody's working there is Black. And she realized sort of the different perspective that she has and what that means for her. Like all good horror, it really plays with your emotions and engage with that. And it can get pretty dark in this book, as you can imagine, based on the topic. But it is such a good horror. Like what Fiona and Sadie both talk about is the kind of books that like just have that extra layer to it. And so if you enjoy a good horror story, I think also give you like kind of his, even more like historically based kind of horror story, I think this would be a really good one. It is When the Reckoning Comes and it is by Latanya McQueen. All right. Last but not least, what have you got for us today? My book is not a horror, uh, although it does have a Halloween-y word in the title. So there's a newer title that, you know, like Virginia was saying, um, you know, might not have gotten uh, such a lot of buzz or hasn't really gone out a lot yet. But I'm hopeful that uh, more people discover this one because I feel like it does transcend culture and race. So this one is called Ghost Forest. And it's by an author, a debut author named Pikshun Fung. She is a Vancouverite who is now living in New York. And I wonder as to how much of this story is autobiographical, although it is promoted as a work of fiction. So in this book, In Ghost Forest, the narrator's family has immigrated from Hong Kong to Vancouver while she was a child. So herself... Her sister, her mother, eventually her grandmother and grandfather. However, her father is what was coined uh, in the media at the time, I'd say around the uh, 80s, 90s, uh, as an astronaut father. So he did not live with the family full time in Vancouver after they moved. He continued his work in Hong Kong. It was something. Uh, a profession, a job he had already established. And so they felt that it was more secure for him to stay 
in Hong Kong, continue working at his career as opposed to moving to Vancouver with the family as they established a new life, just so that they had that stability of income. Now, annually, the father would come home and have visits uh, with the children who were growing up more and more in the Western culture. So still still having, uh, you know, being in touch with their roots, with the mother and the grandmother, uh, telling them stories about life in Hong Kong, but, you know, also, also going to school here and growing up as Vancouverites themselves. So sort of having that pull between two cultures. And so when, when the father would visit the annual visits to Vancouver, so many different factors kind of uh, led to a disjointed, distant relationship the cultural divide that was opening up. And also, also the girls were teenagers uh, and they wanted to do their teenage things and um, hanging out with parents was not so cool after all. As the story develops, the girls move into their late teens and start going to into post-secondary. And around this time, that's when their father becomes seriously ill, so seriously ill that it warrants troops back to Hong Kong to visit, to spend time with him to stay with him and sort of navigate through that relationship that for years has endured this cultural divide because they've been living in two different worlds, essentially, of overcoming being children, being teens and not wanting, not appreciating their family and wanting to, you know, make sure that that connection would always be there. And just from a cultural perspective, and again, this is not every family uh, is like this, but in, you know, culturally, some families are not the type to say, I love you, to verbalize those kinds of feelings of affection. A lot of times those feelings are shown through food, for example, through doing things for other people, to saying, here, you need to eat more, have dinner, sit and eat with us. Have you eaten? Join me for a cup of tea, that kind of thing. Of course, as the father's illness progresses, the narrator becomes more deeper. Uh, she travels deeper into her thoughts about, you know, how do I reconcile my feelings, my Western feelings, of all the things that I want to say to my father and to let him know that there's certain things I want to hear from him too, you know, to say, to tell him that I love him, that he knows that he's loved. But, you know, wanting to hear that back from him. So not just knowing because he's cared so much for her over the years, cared enough to live separately from his family and continue to support them in the best way he knew how. But to hear him say those words for her, for this person who, to this person who's been, you know, living in a Western, hybridized Western and um, Chinese culture. I, so I feel this book really transcends race, culture. You know, this, it's this classic story of what happens when one day our parents, the, they're, not, they're not always going to be there. What happens when we come to that realization? Uh, what happens uh, if they become ill when we need to care for them? And for such a difficult topic, I felt that this, this book was amazing in different ways, just in the sparsity of the languages that she uses, uh, that, that Fung uses. She's just so economical with her words, but they all pack a punch. Um, and also in the format of the book, it's written in vignettes. Uh, some are only one or two pages. Some are maybe five pages. 
Sometimes these are recollections by the narrator. Sometimes these are sort of transcriptions of conversations that she has with her mother or her grandmother. And they're telling her these stories that she thinks back to and they help to center her understanding of who she is, who she's become, and how maybe she can connect with her father. Uh, so for example, in the book, the narrator's mother says, trees want to be still, but the wind won't stop blowing. When children want to care for their parents, it's already too late. Yeah, so emotionally, packs a punch, but I feel like the format of the book really, um, it helps it helps you through it. She doesn't get despondent. You can tell that she's reflective, but she doesn't dwell too much in regret or self-pity or sadness. And because of the vignette structure of the book, I feel that that helps the reader do that as well. So yeah, if you are looking for, um, I wouldn't say an emotional read, but something that could be relatable, you know, has some depth to it that gives you feeling and gives you provides insight into how we are all more alike than we are different, then I really do recommend you pick up Ghost Forest by Pik Shun Feng. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and I believe that's a, you said, you mentioned as a Vancouver author, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. So some, perhaps some uh, biographical elements in there for her, mm-hmm. perhaps. Well, thank you all of you for joining us today for our Keep It Fictional book chat. And I hope all of you have a great Halloween this week and get lots of candies. (laughs) Most important, always. (laughs) And so, yeah, so we will be back again next week for another episode of Keep It Fictional. So we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.